Welcome to Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land. I'm your host, Mary Swander. This is the first of three episodes recorded in Mount Vernon, Iowa, at an event called Fork Tales, put on by Swander Woman Productions, our sister organization. It included five farmer storytellers and the Mississippi String Band. It was recorded live July 8th outside the community center. It was a beautiful, clear night, not too hot. And we sat on a rise looking down on the farmer's market where everyone bought their vegetables and their eggs. And then they turned their chairs around, folded up their tables and listened to farming stories about weather. So get your chair, sit back, get ready to be entertained, to laugh, to cry, to welcome these brave warriors in our food system. Our first storyteller tonight is Alan Malley. The young man that we were are the old men that we are. Time travelers on the road. Hello everybody, can you hear me? Well, that's because I'm a farmer and we have very loud outdoor voices. So today I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, a couple things that have happened in our lifetime, my lifetime at least. You know, people have asked me, people have asked me, what's your favorite time of the year? Is it springtime when the fresh smell of turned soil makes you wish that you're out there planting the seeds yourself? Is it summertime when corn that's knee-high by 4th of July is going to yield a bountiful harvest? Is it fall when the colors on the trees are changing and you're doing that bountiful harvest? Or is it wintertime when you have the soft snow falling gently down as you sit on your lazy boy watching that corn-burning stove, because it's Iowa, corn-burning stove heating and making you feel all cozy and warm inside. I say it's all of it. You know, I'm a farmer that's a full-time optimist. I really detest pessimists because there are times when optimism is all we have. Consider me a realistic optimist because you don't want to have a white shirt on when you're eating beet soup, although I do like red and white. I've seen fire and I've seen rain, literally. 1969, our barn burned down because we had small square bales that were a little wet. We bailed them up and packed them in tight in the barn. Internal combustion created a fire the whole barn burnt down, but we rebuilt and we continued on. I've also seen uh, flooding in, in 2008 where 20 feet above the streets in Cedar Rapids, Iowa caused a lot of panic. And then also in 2012, the same attempt was made, but we survived. You see, I'm an optimist. And I've seen a cold, wet spring, 
a late December 26th harvest of soybeans. And I'm going to tell you, last year was a doozy. It started off great. I planted ahead of schedule. The crops were growing to an amazing shoulder high by the 4th of July. And I told my wife, you know, this might be the bin buster that we've always been waiting for. The last few years we've seen embargoes, low grain prices, a tough year of weather and low crop yields. This is going to be the year. Boy, was I wrong. It was a bin buster, but the wrong kind of bin buster. You see, Mother Nature can be cruel and she can be kind. But last year, she had something else in mind. First, she invited her cousin Wendy to town, and they had a heck of a party, July 11th. In the morning, hailstorm just north of me. I went, whew. It didn't hit my crops. I feel bad for those guys, but they'll have insurance. Little did I know, four hours later, 90 mile an hour wind came through, flattened my corn that was shoulder high to the point that I could see a bunny rabbit hopping across the fields. That's right, six foot tall to six inches tall, flat as a pancake. Well, Mother Nature must have thought that was a fun time with her cousin Wendy, so August 10th, she invited her cousin Rachel to town. Thought, we're really gonna wind it up. You know, we knew it was going to be a storm when we heard the radio announcer over in Ames state that the winds were pretty powerful. <laughs> well, it's just another story. We'll be all right. Everybody in the house. Well, maybe we better go downstairs. We'll watch from the window. It's no big deal. It's just another storm like the last one. We'll be all right. Oh, gee. That wind's kind of picking up there, isn't it? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, holy cow, what? Huh, never saw that before. 15 feet of the top of the tree just snapped off, huh? Well, okay, we'll have some pickup of twigs to do afterwards. What was that? Was that a pig that just flew by? No, no, pigs don't fly, but that was our grill. It's history. Maybe this isn't the average storm. My daughter said, is this going to be like Wizard of Oz or like Twister, the movie? I go, no, no, it'll be fine. You guys stay down here. I'm going to go upstairs and check everything because I'm the dad. I get to go check. You stay down here. So I went upstairs, looked out the window to the west and thought, who left the window open? Went over and checked. No, the window's shut. It's even latched but the curtains were flapping like a flag. The 130 mile an hour winds were blowing around the frame of the window and causing the curtains to flap. Huh, maybe I better go to the east side of the house just in case. Oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. The garage door is missing and, oh, we got a drive-through garage. Great, my wife never did like backing up. Yeah, she'll like that drive-through garage. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, oh, another tree just went over. Okay, well, more twigs to pick up, I guess. I know it was 18 feet tall, but well, okay. Well, 
after another 45 minutes or an hour of that wind, it settled down. I said, guys, let's do what everybody does now. Let's go outside and take a look. So we went outside, and I go, yeah, we've got some pickup to do and everything. No power. Okay, we're good. We're good. Everybody's safe. That's important. Go around the back. Yeah, my five green bins. Wait, wait. One, two, three. Huh, I could have swore that those two pads of concrete had green bins on them earlier. That's right. Ripped two 10,000 bushel green bins, clean off the pad, tumbled them like tumbleweeds over, like a bowling ball hit all three of my 60-foot augers, perfect spare, got all three of them, bent them into a mess, and left the LP tank, ripped the line open, and it was sitting there hissing away all this LP. Huh, that might be dangerous. Better call the fire department because I thought the valve had been broken. Well, they come out and they got it shut off. Well, maybe we better go check the tanks at the hog building. Huh, I didn't know that 200 foot by 50 foot hog building had a sky view. Oh, the roof's gone. Oh, okay, that would make sense. Oh, wait, wait, where's the roof? I don't see it anywhere. Oh, it's somewhere out there in the beyond. And that loose, blown-in insulation everybody has in their attic, I'm sure a fisherman spotted it in the Mississippi River the next day. That's only, what, an hour's drive to the east? So with all that and all the other things that happened and the $500,000 worth of damage we got, we still had our optimism and we started all over again and thank you my best buddy Mr. Insurance One thing we'll always know We were time travelers on the road Our second storyteller tonight is Kevin Woods all right, can you hear me okay? If I get any closer to this, Mary Swander and I are gonna be engaged. <laughs> like she said, uh, I, uh, I grew up in the Appalachia, Lynn County, just south of the river down here. And uh, I own 95 acres of our original 265 acres that uh, my grandpa came to in 1926 and brought his young bride to. My father was born and and died there on the same farm, and I bought 95 acres from my mother, and uh, I don't farm, really. I have 35 acres in CRP. Thank you all for paying your taxes, by the way. And I rent out 35 acres to my brother. The rest is ponds and timbers and the like. My, I, I exited the farm, my active farming career, which was labor. My, my father and grandfather were management. And I exited about 1971, two, three, somewhere in there. I was 16, 17 years old because I'd had, it was long on work and short on pay even then. Uh, my day-to-day -day activities were overseen by my uh, grandfather who was born in 1902 and I thought was rough as a stucco bathtub. He, uh, uh, his father died in the 1918 flu epidemic and he was left to raise uh, his five siblings and take care of his mother. So I understood later why he was a little rough. And my dad, who was born in 31, lived on that farm. And, and both of them were long on work and not short, or were pretty short on uh, excuses for not, not working. And, and uh, it was too cold, too hot. They didn't want to hear it. 
The house I grew up in was like a lot of houses in uh, rural Iowa, the whole four square design, 27 feet to the soffits and balloon framing and single pane windows and no insulation. Uh, it was uh, miserably cold in the winter, but at least it was swelteringly hot in the summertime. <laughs> um, in the cold months, us four kids, we'd, we'd shiver upstairs, but uh, you know, but you didn't lounge around in the morning when you got out of bed because it was like 45 degrees up there. You hustled downstairs where it was at least 65. And again, wood heated house, that's what, uh, that's what we spent our spare time doing was cutting wood. I never understood this thing called fuel oil or LP furnaces. So, um, and then I had chores. We milked cows by hand until I was probably 12 or 13. And uh, I grew to despise them as well. I don't drink milk to this day. <laughs> And uh, whatever caused farm or milk prices to collapse in 1967-68, I'm eternally grateful for that because <laughs> the cows went down the road. Uh, but what we did also is like all farms in the area, we farrowed hundreds of hogs, even on 265 acres. Uh, and they were you know, in timbers and fields and the like, but we had a farrowing house where the little ones were born. <clears throat> and. Uh, and it was heated with heat lamps and a wood stove, and it was actually it was 20 degrees warmer than our house was. <laughs> and uh, along 12, 13, my my cousin David, who's six months younger than I, he'd come over and help me with chores and stay overnight and goof around like 13-year-old boys do. And uh, we'd be upstairs in my bedroom shivering at night, and he'd say, "God, can't we go sleep in the Fairwing house? It's warmer in there than it is up here." But he'd help me with chores and then, uh, you know, staying overnight and we'd retire to my, my room, which was the only refuge and with four, you know, three other siblings around. And we'd hang around up there and read mad magazines and playboys if we could, if my dad thought he knew where they were hidden. Well, no, I knew where they were all the time. A boy's got to get an education somehow. And uh, we'd sit up there and smoke pilfered cigarettes and open the, this, the glass and then we'd throw the butts out through a hole in the screen. And, uh, and of course, if none of you know anything about 13-year-old boys, you, you, you're going to get an education because we'd also lift the window up and we'd pee out through the screen because we were too lazy <laughs> to go downstairs. And, uh, I mean, who would figure that out when, the, you know, the snow's yellow and there's cigarette butts all over the ground? <laughs> but my dad did figure it out, intelligent man as he was, and uh, he motioned to me one day about it, and I thought, oh, God, here we go. But he just gently chastised about knocking it off. He, he'd evidently been 13 years old himself at one time. And uh, we'd, you know, we'd try and tune in WLS Chicago. You know, you could get FM and all the, the, the top 40 of whatever, 1969, 1970, whatever those were. I also learned to drive tractor when I was 12 or 13. And uh, going from farm to farm on icy winter roads, I learned, as many of you know, that driven tractors with independent brakes on the back, that you can crank the wheel one way or the other and lock the brake up, and you can spin the thing in 360 degrees, <laughs> which at 13 I thought was fascinating. Uh, I didn't understand physics, still don't, but uh, I, I got about a 90, de 90 decibel safety lecture from my father to quit doing that. I think he was more concerned about wrecking his tractor than he was about me, but... As far as the seasons and weather, it always seemed to be extremes. I mean, you know, winter was everything froze. Hog waters, wood piles, things won't start, nothing seems to work right. And then spring, of course, you'd think some relief, but basically that's just a season of mud that I learned to appreciate one of God's miracles. It's concrete. 
liquid rock, basically, and only people that don't like concrete grew up in town, as far as I'm concerned. In summer, you know, school's out, you know, plenty of things for town kids to do, which is ride their bikes around, play baseball, and, and go to the pool. For ours, it was, uh, you know, basically cutting weeds, walking beans, fence to fix, hog houses to clean out. It seems like animals we raised, there was more coming out one end of them than went in their mouths, because that seemed to be all I did for 15 years. Um, in our house, you know, again, like I said, it was pretty hot. And I, mem I remember sleeping upstairs and it being so hot, like some of the days we've had recently, where I'd just wrap a, a wet towel around my neck and go out and sleep on the front lawn because it was so damn hot up there. Um, one of the more pleasant, I guess, passages for me was um, learning or getting uh, to bale hay, which sounds foolish, but the reason I liked baling hay was for neighbors, I actually got paid for it. You know, we hayed, we baled hay for ourselves and our immediate neighbors and traded labor and all that. And, and there was never, I mean, I mentioned pay a couple times and my dad reminded me that I did get to eat there and stay in their house and that was it. <laughs> but I remember, you know, I've been 49 years in the workforce now and I've collected a lot of paychecks. But my first one, I remember, was uh, for $6.25 from Duane and Lois Pavelka, my next, for, for an afternoon of haying. And uh, my dad said, oh, you don't need to pay him. And I said to myself, I said, shut up. <laughs> $6.25 in 1969 was several packs of cigarettes and, uh, you know, can 10 cent candy bars and, and soda and the like. So that set off my haying career, which I started hiring out to neighbors. And I, um, I learned enough to buy a little motorcycle. Uh, which for some reason my mother thought was okay for a 14-year-old boy to have a motorcycle and drive it around all the gravel roads, which I did. And uh, I also learned that uh, one of our neighbor girls over by St. Peter and Paul's was also in the hay business because I drove by and a uh, beautiful green hay field, there she was, she was raking hay on an old John Deere B in a green and yellow polka dot bikini. <laughs> which entertained me to no end. <laughs> now, I didn't have guts enough to stop and actually talk to the girl, so I just, every time the hay season was around, I'd have to meander over that way to see if she was, uh, if she was raking hay. Uh, she's, I'm, she's my age, so she's obviously somebody's grandma by now, but uh, she inspired my summer of 1970-71. And usually on the haying crew, you'd go to neighbors and there'd be older boys on the crew, 16, 17-year-old worldly men, you know, that knew all about the world. And, and they'd educate me on uh, old gold cigarettes and, uh, and which stores in town weren't too fussy about uh, ID if you were buying Schlitz beer and those kind of things. And, and they alluded to girls and scoring. And I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, like kind of, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, I guess. But uh, so we got a, a paycheck and some education. Uh, one summer, the last summer, I think, before I took my, uh, my move up the career ladder into working at a gas station in town and changing truck tires, um, we were haying for my grandfather. And, and, and there was a storm coming in the south, and you could see it. It was a miserable day like we had here last weekend. And we were working like hell, and up in the barn in the mow, which is where the kids always went, uh, there was myself and my cousin David and Joe Hufford who went on to play football for Iowa, so no shrinking violet. But as, uh, as the barn filled up, you couldn't breathe up there. You just couldn't get any air. 
And my grandpa was in his 70s, evidently thought he'd stack bail to bail to bail on the elevator, so there was no relief whatsoever. So finally, I just said, we're, we're done. We're done up here. So we did the unthinkable. We revolted and had our own little Bolshevik rebellion against my grandfather. And, uh, and here come my dad out of the field, and I thought, man, we're going to catch it now. But my dad stood up for us, and he, uh, he said, just back those loads in the barn. We'll catch them later. Um, in closing, I would say I, I've, I've got the best of all worlds now. I live on that land and enjoy its natural beauty and the CRP and the prairies and all that, but I have the better part of farming. I don't have to make a living on it, <laughs> and uh, I just get to enjoy it. But one of the things as I get into my mid-60s, I, I think about my dad and my grandpa a lot. My grandpa had a sixth grade education, my dad an eighth. And uh, of course, I thought they were just fossils at the time, didn't know anything. Of course, like every 16-year-old boy, I knew everything. But as over the years, I, I've, I've discovered what it is they taught me, and that's how to be a decent human being and how to be a man. Keep your commitments, work hard, be an honest person, take care of those things that are weaker you, weaker than you, and never leave the house without a hat. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody sees you. Nobody hears you when you scream. And that brings this episode to the end. Tonight, we want to thank Steve Maravitz, who arranged this performance in Mount Vernon, Dale Beeks, the great musician, who so helped enhance the performance, and his Mississippi String Band. You've been hearing time travelers throughout this episode. Also, I want to thank Rick Brewer for technical assistance and our supporters, our gracious, generous donors, the Warner Ellithorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and the Calio Levine Fund. We welcome your support. Just click the red donate button on our website, www.agarts.org. Like us, AgArts, on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time. Nobody sees.